you're listening to the Bitcoin Takeover Podcast, the Bitcoin podcast for OGs and intermediaries. Make sure you subscribe, leave a comment, and like this episode. Also, read the new BTCT KVR magazine. This episode is sponsored by Wasabi Wallet, Crypto Steel, Shop in a Bit, and Sadodime. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening. Hello there and welcome to the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. For some reason, we have crazy credits and I skipped the intro music, which I might add for the Spotify edition, but we are live right now with Philip, who is the creator of 10101 or 1010 or something like that. And you are muted for now, Philip, because that's how Jitsi works. You're muted whenever we get this video sharing situation. Basically, you're creating stable coins on the Lightning Network as far, far as I understand. And I thought it was interesting because at one point during my previous podcast episodes, I called people using stable coins pussies. But now, <laughs> now, basically, we have to face the reality that there's a lot of demand for that in lots of countries around the world. And Lightning is a pretty good way to handle these as opposed to Tron. Definitely, so, it's good to have you. How do you pronounce your last name? Is it Hornish? Almost. Hornish. Hornish. Like the, the O-E is actually a special letter in German. It's the O with a double point on top. Okay, Philip, let's unpack a bit. Let's start from the very beginning. What is 10101101? And why did you decide to work on this project? 1101 is the binary representation of 21, like 21 million Bitcoin. And with that, we our core value is that it, everything will be built has to be really self-custodial and there should be no counterparty risk. And 1001 is actually our second project already where we try or we where we're building derivatives on Bitcoin. Um, why did we start that? Hmm, that's a it's a long story. Let me take one long step back um i lost some money on mount gox in 2014 and that left some marks on me and i made it my mission that no one should ever have to go through this pain themselves if they don't want to but the problem is that if you want to trade today you have to trust someone else you have to deposit your hard-earned money in someone else's wallet and there's no way to to trade without counterparty risk so I made it my mission to build counterparty risk-free trading. And we jumped onto derivatives on Bitcoin because there are no assets on Bitcoin. And after doing perpetual futures, we realized that there is a pretty cool side product we can build with perpetual futures. And that is a synthetic stablecoin. A synthetic stablecoin without a token like there is no token you send around it's just sets there's no token issuer so you don't have to trust anyone and of course there's no other blockchain than bitcoin involved in it that's interesting so what is a st synthetic stable coin because i haven't heard this term before um a synthetic stable coin is it's not an actual token you send around like an ERC20 token or now with Taproot assets or RGB where you really have an actual asset you send around. But a synthetic coin is which is on top and it only represents the value of your stable coin, meaning in our case, the amount you send around is always stable in US dollar terms, but the token you send around is sets. 
So how is that stable since you're sending Bitcoin, which is volatile against the US dollar? That is a good question. It is a short position against the Bitcoin USD exchange rate. Um, if you want to do some, some napkin math, let's say the Bitcoin price is currently 10,000 and you want to have $10,000 worth of your synthetic stable coin, then you have to lock up one Bitcoin. One Bitcoin is 10,000. So you have one Bitcoin in the stable coin and you need someone else on the other side who goes long against you. Basically, he bets that the Bitcoin price appreciates while you implicitly take the assumption that Bitcoin depreciates. And the other party, let's just for the sake of simplicity say, he also, he doesn't take any leverage. He puts in one Bitcoin as well. Then there are two Bitcoins in this contract. And now if the price moves, if the price goes up, you lose parts of your Bitcoin, but you're stable in US dollar terms. So let's just say the price doubles to 20K, then you hold 0.5 Bitcoin, but 0.5 Bitcoin at the price of 20K is still worth 10,000 US dollars. And you can send this around to anyone at any time. And you, what you send then is the SATs or the Bitcoin itself. Interesting. You use two terms that are going to act as a dog whistle to some very hardcore Bitcoiners. You basically said short BTC USD, and then you said 10K. That's super bearish, man. <laughs> I know, I know. It is not the right product for super bullish people. It is for people who want to be stable in US dollar terms, but they get the advantage of Bitcoin itself being a censorship resistant platform. And there's also no trusted third party in the middle, as you said, no stable coin issuer. Um, there is a trusted third party, but there is no token issuer. And the trusted third party is an oracle because the technology we are using to build this synthetic stable coin is DLCs, discrete lock contracts. And in order to have removed the counterparty risk, we have to have an oracle which ensures that the contract is being executed at the defined terms. And there is trust to this Oracle. Is the Oracle open source at least? So you can verify that it does what it says it does? It is open source. And at the, at right, right now, it is only one Oracle. But we could increase it to multiple Oracles so that you can split the trust to multiple parties and then have a, like a two out of three multi-sig or five out of seven or 15 out of 17 or whatever you want to have. So basically anyone can do this. They can issue their own quote unquote stable coin, which you call a synthetic stable coin on the Lightning Network using Bitcoin. And it's this Oracle that decides the entry price and also makes decisions as the price increases or decreases. Somewhat. Um... So the Oracle is actually not really aware of the contract being established, executed at all. The Oracle is just an independent third party, which has one job and one job only. It has to attest to the Bitcoin price on a regular interval. Meaning in our case, we, we run an Oracle which attests to the Bitcoin price every minute. And it takes the Bitcoin price and index price which is, I think, the one published from BitMEX. 
but it doesn't know about the contract. And if the two of us want to create the stablecoin, let's say I want to create a stablecoin, you're obviously super bullish, then we just say, okay, um, look, the current price is uh, just over 30,000. Um, we need to lock up this amount of Bitcoin in our contract. And then eventually, if you ever want to settle, we say, okay, look, the price right now is um, 60,000. Tomorrow at 12, right? So we are super bullish. Um, then we can collaboratively settle and just collaboratively sign transactions. Or if you disappear or if I disagree with your opinion on the price, you can go to the Oracle and the Oracle attested a price and you get a signature. And with this signature, you can then take your money. Okay, you mentioned that this project is not for the super bullish people, it's for those who like stability. Who are these people? Who is the target audience for this protocol? Hmm, you're taking my words really uh, as I say them, right? I would say all the super bullish people can use it at certain times. For example, when I went to BTC Prague or Baltic Honey Batches, the the best Bitcoin conference in the world. Um, <laughs> you you spend you pay there with Bitcoin for your beer, for your burgers, or whatever. But if you don't want to take the temporary risk and take a big amount of Bitcoin with you, you can like think of you preload a hot wallet of your your Lightning wallet with a <clears throat> hundred dollars worth of the synthetic stablecoin, and then you go to the conference and you have always a hundred dollars worth to pay for your beer or your burgers. And that use case is, I think, really, really cool. It's also cool for bigger entities like uh, companies where, like Bitcoin companies who don't have a bank account and they want to pay their employees in Bitcoin. It would be a little bit too risky to hold all your assets purely in Bitcoin because if the Bitcoin price crashes by 50% tomorrow, you're run by halves, basically. So instead, you could say you're going to hedge half or a certain amount of your assets into the synthetic stablecoin and then pay your employees in Bitcoin, but you don't have this exchange risk. Okay, I see that the number of people in the chat, or at least the live stream watchers, is increasing. And I just want you guys to know that you can use the chat to ask questions to Philip if you have any about how this protocol works. And before you get that chance, since there is no question so far, I'm going to take advantage of the situation to ask you if everything is happening on the Lightning Network or if there's also something that gets settled on chain. Everything happens on the Lightning Network in the ideal case. <clears throat> you only have to go on chain if something goes wrong. If your counterparty disappears um, or doesn't want to settle, then you have to go on chain. But as long as both parties are online and cooperate, then you can always settle cooperatively into your Lightning channel. And that for free, obviously, because settling into your Lightning channel doesn't involve any on-chain transactions. So this is decentralized, but it's not really trustless, meaning that there is still some trust that you must have in the system that it's going to operate in the way that you expect it to operate. Is there anything else to know, like an asterisk, any special mention about how this operates? 
Yeah, no, you're, you're completely right. Nothing in, is completely trustless. It is just trust minimized. And you have to choose your level of trust and risk you are willing to take as I think Bitcoiners are really good at this. If your trust level is um, you want to trust Tether, then the synthetic stable coin is probably not for you. But if you don't want to trust a third party for this and you only want to act, transact on Bitcoin, then this stable coin is for you. But this asterisk is it's not completely risk-free in the sense of stability. If you, you take to some degree some exchange rate into, into account, if, for example, the Bitcoin price flash crashes by over 50% tomorrow, then the amount you hold is not stable in US dollar terms anymore. You get all the Bitcoins, but your position is not stable. So in the example earlier, we said Bitcoin price is at around 10K. You put up one Bitcoin, I put up one Bitcoin. Now, if the price crashes to 5K, there are two Bitcoins in there, which are worth together 10,000. But if the price crashes further, let's say to 4,000, then the two Bitcoins are only worth $8,000 and my $10,000 stablecoin are not 10,000 anymore. Okay, interesting. We have a question in the chat from F5 e324f4 i'm not sure if this is supposed to mean anything but his question is can i generate a synthetic btc token with half volatility or one that represents the 200 week btc price curve yeah you can the it's completely up to you what you want to bias your your contract on all you would need is an oracle which attests to that particular price whether it's the weekly curve at a the 200 week BTC price curve or um, whatever. And of course you need a counterparty. So you always need someone else taking the other side. You mentioned Tether as being the counter example or the polar opposite of what 1010.1 is. But I was thinking right now that there's this liquidity issue, right? Because Tether is the most liquid stable coin right now. And People trust it only because there's so much money into it that they think it's too big to fail. And they're not going to be the last ones. I know it's laughable, but this is how human psychology works. And then they're going to look at this lightning powered, scalable, fast, and also decentralized stable coin. And they're going to be like, yeah, but there's no liquidity. And that's why I asked you, who is this really for? Who do you envision using this? Because if it gets traction, it's going to be huge. But if it doesn't, as cool as this is, you know, it, it's only as good as people perceive it to be. And that's why I guess I'm also promoting this project because I thought it was interesting. Now, again, you're, you're completely right. Um, liquidity is the biggest challenge we need to solve. And the more liquidity, the better. That's why we said we started this project more as a side project initially. And the main project is trading. And Bitcoin is usually very, very liquid. People trade Bitcoin everywhere. And particular derivatives are quite liquid as well. Which means if we target, if we build an exchange without counterparty risk on top of this, <clears throat> we have naturally some liquidity because people want to bet on the Bitcoin price. And the side product is the stablecoin. Now, the question is, 
what are more where are more people are there more people more bullish or more people stable and we think that with targeting um, we always need both sides of this trade we always need super bullish people and we always need people who are not super bullish to take the other side and if you only target the hard target the hardcore bitcoiners then they're always super bullish they always want to go long which means there is not enough people on the short side in the derivative space they regulate this with a funding rate and then have a very high funding rate that if you want to go long you actually have to pay an interest rate to someone who goes short which incentivizes people to take the short side now if we target actually people who want to be stable in us dollars we can build a really interesting product there where they earn interest in us dollar terms but they are still transacting on bitcoin and lightning and that could be very interesting for um third world countries where they really want to have the censorship resistance but they don't want to take the risk of the exchange rate for example think of someone on bitcoin beach selling sunglasses if they charge you five dollars for the sunglasses they take quite some risk if you pay in bitcoin and the bitcoin price plunges tomorrow because then they suddenly only made 2.5 dollars or something but if they can be stable in us dollar terms then they can transact on the circular economy in el salvador um, but still be stable in us dollar terms and that's the target users and the market there is quite is really really big i think from remittance to merchants they are able to get paid in bitcoin but are stable in us dollar terms to pay for their running costs interesting there's a lot to unpack there but before we go there i have to play this ad so be back in 30 seconds Wasabi Wallet is unfairly private. It's the most advanced and most used Bitcoin privacy wallet with half a million downloads across Windows, Mac OS, and Linux, as well as thousands of fresh new Bitcoins getting mixed every month. Wasabi makes use of the new generation Wabi Sabi engine to create mega coin joins, thus mixing your Bitcoins with those of hundreds of other users. From amounts lower than 0.01 BTC and remixes, you pay no coordination fee. Even if you don't use CoinJoins, Wasabi Wallet has a native Tor integration and downloads block filters to help you keep your network level and public key privacy. Download Wasabi Wallet for free today at wasabiwallet.io and experience the future of Bitcoin privacy. We're back. Also, guys, if you enjoy the show, make sure you like and subscribe. It's not just a vanity metric, it also helps with other people discovering this and finding this information, which might be useful to a lot of them. I don't know, this is still a very young project. And in this second part, I want to take a look at your website and show what you have there and the information that anyone can read right now about the project. I see that you're not quite happy, maybe that you wish you improved the website before this call. You're muted, by the way. Again, I'm muted. No, I was just thinking, hmm, when did we update the website the last time? <laughs> Might not be very, very up to date. Right, let's have a look. Okay, we're looking at the website right now. It's 10101 or 10101. 10, 10, 10, <laughs> Decentralized finance for real. 
I like that you're making fun of DeFi a bit. There's a button here which says I want to try it. And what it does it is gets open. you to our waiting list. So we are in a closed beta right now. And we are collecting your email addresses and we ask you some questions about your trading experience. And we add a few users every week to our closed beta. Interesting. So what it says here, you're suggesting 1010one as the naming convention for your project is all about Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. It is a self-custodial on-chain and off-chain wallet infused with trading to unleash true trustless decentralized finance. And it says that it's self-custodial, accountless, trade powered by DLCs, trade without counterparty risk, Bitcoin wallet, Lightning wallet, notifications. You also have an interface that's being displayed here. I'm not sure if this is up to date with the latest version, but it looks to pretty some nice. Degree. some degree, yeah. It looks slick. It says that it's self-sovereign because you're in control of your keys, cryptographically secure with DLCs that guarantee trustless trade execution, built on tech you can trust, powered by LDK, this is very interesting, and BDK, I'm going to ask you more about this. So Bitcoin Dev Kit and Lightning Dev Kit, I think yeah. Bitcoin Dev Kit is by Synonym and Lightning Dev Kit is by, what's Jack Dorsey's company? Spiral, Spiral off rock. Yeah. I, I think BDK is not by synonym. Is BDK just an? Is it also part? It's definitely also funded by Spiral. I'm not sure if it's completely independent. No, oh, I might be confusing it then because there's also yeah. something by synonym. I mean Bitkit, I think. Bitcoin DevKit, Bitkit, yeah. Yeah, BitKit is synonym. Yeah, BitKit, you're right. They sound too similar. Lightning first. Settling trades over Lightning is both fast and cheap. Fully open source. You can find this on GitHub. Let's hear GitHub. Yes. Ooh. Interesting. I see that you're the most active here. You're, you <laughs> made the last merge for a pull request. 2,408 commits. That's hard work, man. Yeah, I've been working on this for a bit over a year now. Let's see, contributors. You have quite a few guys doing this. Even a 1010 Tom. <laughs> of course we have 1010 Tom. Stop so seven guys are currently working. Did I count correctly? Six, we... seven, and you have a couple of bots. This guy probably just forked the repository. Uh, I think he did a one-time contribution. A small fix. Yeah, so we are a right now a fixed team of four. Four, four developers and one non-developers. And the others, they used to be working with us and left. Yeah, you should have 10 developers. Definitely, yes. Okay, interesting. There are instructions on how to run this. 
Well, th this is very nerdy. I like it. <laughs> it is very nerdy, and it's very technical. We call it. It's we say sometimes it's so bleeding edge that it's bleeding at every edge, uh, but we are getting in a stable state now. Pun intended, right? Exactly. Stable state. <laughs> oh, <that's> points. <laughs> I did not see that, but yes. <laughs> okay, this is fun. It's interesting. It's exciting. There is stuff that's being built. And there's a question in the chat, which is exactly about the stuff that I was going to ask. So thank you, F5E32-4F4 for asking this question, because he says, do you guys use Taproot assets? How do they affect you? Is there any advantage of using that protocol for creating such tokens? Um, well, Taproot assets is a way to issue tokens on Bitcoin, but you have the token issuer. And that again brings the question of who do you want to trust? If you want to trust a token issuer, then an asset issued on Taproot assets or RTB or Liquid might be more the way to go, but it comes with the inherent risk of the token issuer. And with a synthetic stablecoin based on DLCs, you don't have the token issuer. You're sending around sats, and your sats are always worth something. Even if they might not be stable in US dollar terms, they are worth something. If you hold um, USD whatever, and the token issuer disappears, then your USD whatever are not worth anything anymore. You can send them around, but they are not worth anything anymore. That cannot happen with our USD, with our synthetic USD. Also, on a personal note, you should not be using Taproot assets. You should be using RGB, which is the original protocol that Lightning Labs copied without giving credit. <laughs> I have no opinion on that. <laughs> No, I said it so you don't have to. <laughs> anyway, it's gotta, definitely gotta, interesting sorry, that we have competing protocols and lots of ideas for solving the exact same problem. Because I'm not sure how many guys remember how many of the people listening to this know. But the first stablecoin was issued on Bitcoin. It was on the Omni layer in 2015. It was called Tether. By the way, <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure you heard about it. And Bitfinex decided to do it on Bitcoin. It was a token just like those on Counterparty or Ordinal Inscriptions or whatever. You had USDT that was being traded on the Bitcoin blockchain. And at some point, they decided that Bitcoin is not, is not fast enough for settlements and maybe the fees are too high or whatever. And maybe that the developers were also concerned about MEV which perverts the mining incentives and makes them get some extra rewards other than the block, the block reward and the fees. So it moved to Ethereum and then it moved to Tron. And right now there's a lot of Tether on Tron. And I'm happy that there are attempts to create a better design as opposed to the trusted model of Tether with decentralized stuff. And to me... It's not very important, no offense, but I don't care if it's going to be RGB or Taproot Assets or 1101 that creates the superior project. I just like that there's enough competition out there and there are proposals that try to improve on the existing designs, which is also even more important. Totally agree. Um, I think 
uh, Tether or on the Omni layer protocol was actually just seized this year, or they removed Tether from Bitcoin only this year, like a couple of months ago. It's not such a long time ago. And there was a long time where you could really follow the token issuance on Bitcoin, which was quite interesting. I think there's also Tether on Liquid. And this is another question that arises from here because it seems like there is an alternative which is scalable and is private to send Tether. And yet Tron is the most popular option. And the question that arises from here, do you think that Bitcoin has a culture issue and we reject these ideas by default because they're not Bitcoin? We definitely have a culture issue, if not even multiple. Um, and we don't welcome any other token on Bitcoin. I'm, I'm curious to see how RGB and Taproot assets are going to play out. I wonder if people are really going to use it because, as you said, we have Liquid. And Liquid is quite close to Bitcoin. I mean, it's a little bit hard or used to be hard to get into Liquid. These days, it's actually quite easy with particularly bolts where you can easily onboard using Lightning. Um, but yeah, I wonder if people are really using RGB or Taproot assets compared to Liquid. And there's also RSK or Rootstock, which is, I think, the first of sidechains that was deployed on Bitcoin. It's secured by about 70-something percent of the hash rate. And somehow, outside of Argentina, it did not get too much traction. I think it's being used in Argentina for stable coins right now. They have Sovereign or something like that, mm -hmm. S-O-V-R-Y-N. And that one issued some stable coins. And they also had Money Chain, which was another project on RSK. But outside of Argentina, which is hyperinflating and they're trying to dollarize the country right now, there was not much demand for that. And it's interesting because we have these solutions on a Bitcoin layer, which provides some advantage to the Bitcoin miners and overall increases the demand for the BTC token. So that should be beneficial for the price. And yet we are stuck with the huddle culture. And we say, no, we, we, we are only supposed to not use Bitcoin. We only accumulate it and that's it. It's getting better, the huddle culture. I don't see it that much anymore. Um, initially, when we launched our our product, we got quite some negative feedback because trading is not good on Bitcoin or it's not good for Bitcoin. You should never use Bitcoin for trading. But I think trading is a very important part of this economy. And if we don't have trading on Bitcoin, it's going to happen somewhere else because people want to trade. Uh, it's just safer for the Bitcoiners, for the traders, if we bring it onto Bitcoin. And the hodlers, I think they're going to be in a minority. Well, I, I, I'm going to get into that after another short commercial break, because I have to play this every 15 minutes. But I, I have a lot to say on the topic, so be back <laughs> immediately.
CryptoSeal is the original Bitcoin cold storage backup, and it's been innovating self-custody since 2013. Designed and manufactured in Europe from the finest and most resistant stainless steel, the CryptoSeal cassette and the CryptoSeal capsule are industry standards. These cold storage devices are made to resist house fires, extreme floods, and physical shocks. You can also use CryptoSeal to store your important passwords, BIP39 passphrase, or Noster private key. Buy your crypto steel today from cryptosteel.com and use promo code BTCTKVR to get a 10% discount. Crypto steel. Secure your Bitcoin like an OG. Okay, we're back. And I think I want to open Pandora's box about huddling and this whole culture. Because basically, I posted on Twitter about two weeks ago that. Huddling is not using because you're, I'm not going to say free writing, but you're still benefiting from people who do transact and do pay the miners. And as the block subsidy reduces after every halving cycle, we're going to have a situation where we need to transact more. We need to pay the miners to keep going. And they're going to say, yeah, but we're keeping the price stable by not using the Bitcoin, by not selling it, there's fewer Bitcoins that are out there for trading, which means that the supply is actually lower and the price is going to pump with greater ease, I think. And that's part of the argument. But there is this issue about who pays for security because right now Bitcoin is being secured by inflation. It's the new coins that come into the system according to the 21 million schedule that actually pay for the electricity and the equipment that the miners are using. So it's a pretty big issue and we need kind of a culture change in this regard. I don't think that hodling is a big issue because at some point you will have to use your Bitcoin. It's only a matter of, of how much of your assets, what percentage of your assets do you hold in Bitcoin. And in order to Hodl, you need to move it into your cold storage. So you have at least one transaction. And if this becomes a significant part of your assets, you eventually will have to sell or take a loan against it or whatever. And then you use it again. So right now, the hodlers, they probably are savers. And that's the same thing as in the traditional finance where you have your your um, savings account where you move money in there, but you never move the money out until you do a big spending. And that's the same thing with hodling. You stack sats until to a certain point where you think, okay, I don't have any euros or dollars left anymore. Now I need to start spending. And if we believe in Bitcoin taking over the world of money, then eventually you will get into a situation where you get paid in Bitcoin. And then suddenly you cannot just keep stacking sats. You will need to have to spend some. Otherwise you just don't have any money to spend. Yeah, yeah. Basically, if you never spend any Bitcoin, it just means that you have too much fiat, which means you're short Bitcoin. Yes, so, you're not bullish enough, holders. Exactly. You're not bullish enough. But <laughs> this goes back to another conversation that I had sometime in mid-2020. I was doing an interview with Staticus from Bitbox02, and we were talking about the Lightning Network at the time. And he said, and we agreed on this issue, what if we build it? but the users don't come, what's going to happen? 
And I think this is right now an issue with stuff that's built on top of Lightning, with Taproot assets, with RGB, with 10.10.1, and everything that's out there and is trying to bring something new. But at the same time, you're not sure if the culture enables these use cases to flourish. As if you go on Ethereum, you're going to see that you have this degen culture, people who are very eager to experiment and try stuff and just throw money at projects and trade and it's crazy what's going on there. It's sort of like a casino. It's sort of like banking, but on steroids. At the same time, even for something more conservative, like stable coins, you have a lot of opposition. So how do you have any strategy to popularize 10.10.1? Or how do you see it gaining traction? I think the, the traction will come from the trader's perspective because trading is a common use case and we have major exchanges out there which offer derivatives. BitMEX, for example, initially started with a Bitcoin as a Bitcoin-only exchange where your trades are being settled in Bitcoin and the trading volume on BitMEX is, is huge. These days they also offer other coins, but the Bitcoin uh, settled futures and options are the biggest part of their exchange but the problem there is obviously that traders have to accept the counterparty risk and people or traders are getting more and more aware of this counterparty risk even bitmex itself advertises on their website that you can reduce counterparty risk by taking leverage but they i'm not sure if they mentioned it but if you take leverage you'd suddenly take exchange rate into uh, the 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 more risk into account because you might get liquidated. So leverage means that you don't have to provide so much Bitcoin to trade. Now, I think it's we are just one other exchange explosion far um, away from people really, really looking into more the counterparty risk-free trading solution. And then suddenly, Tenten One is very, very interesting, and we probably can't handle the load anymore. By exchange explosion, you mean that the exchange is going to go down, not that it's going to go to the moon or something. Like no, like, like FTX, for example. That's what I meant with explosion. Yeah, that, that was really unfortunate, and it's so recent. And people were saying, oh, Mt. Gox situations can never happen again because we know better. We have learned our lesson. Now we mm -hmm. deal with FTX. It was, I guess, the Mt. Gox of this generation. And then they started speculating about Binance, but it seems like they resisted pretty well. And they even had to deal with a bank run last year. And they sustained that pretty well. It seems like they're liquid. But I'm not surprised because if you look at the top 20 wallets, there is this BitInfoCharts website which shows you the top biggest wallets in Bitcoin. The Binance cold storage wallets are in, I think they have four out of the top 10 ones. So they, they seem to have a lot of reserves and they didn't even have to sell off most of their Bitcoin. They just dumped some of the shit coins that they were backing. Yeah, I really don't wish it on to Binance or any other exchange that they go bust. But unfortunately, I believe it will happen again, whether it's on purpose or by mistake or it's because a regulator, regulator would just shut it down. And this will come these attacks will come and it will just get harder to run these exchanges. And then people want to have a more decentralized, trustless solution. 
Can Tintin 1 be regulated in any way? Do you see this happening? I mean, depends on what level. Um, so there is some centralization involved in it. We call it a coordinator, which is mostly due to technical limitations. And that means every trader opens a lightning channel with us and the trades are settled through us. The regulators could attack us, but then we hope by this point we can decentralize ourselves or just other people will jump in and run their own coordinators. Yeah, we have another question in the chat from the same guy, F5E32484, who wants to know if Taproot assets or RGB, are they really competing with DLCs? They can integrate, right? From any DLC tokens emerge. Having them integrated with Taproot might help take taking them off the app to the real world, like a first decentralized layer using DLCs that allows issuers to generate actual tokens on Taproot assets. Yes, I totally agree that they are not competing. They are parts of a bigger picture and you can build really, really cool products with a mix of them. For example, you can build collateralized lending which again creates some form of a stable coin, meaning instead of having two people trade against each other with our derivative approach, you have one party which over collateralizes a position. Say he puts up um, $150 worth of Bitcoin and then he gets $100 worth of stable coin issued. And we can build that with the Taproot assets or RGB protocol in combination with DLCs. I'm not sure if I understood half of that, but <laughs> there, there's a lot of new banking terms that I need to understand, also trading stuff. I guess I didn't go too much. I didn't research it too much, but it's interesting. And I was going to ask you about your background because you're obviously technical. You're coding this protocol yourself with three or four other people, as we saw on GitHub. But what's your background? Because you seem to be very advanced when it comes to trading. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm, well, I'm a technical person, software engineer background, studied software engineering, and I was crazy enough to give a PhD a try. I did this, the latest big topic before blockchain, which was cloud computing, if you remember that. Um, and all the, the finance terms, I just taught myself. So a degree by YouTube. Hustlers Academy. <laughs> Hustlers Academy, yes. Try and, and fail on BitMEX and then I'll try to understand, wait, 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 how did this work? Why was I liquidated? Ah, oh, that's how it works. Yeah, I'm not sure if I can stomach the losses on BitMEX. I tried a couple of times to go 100x and then no. It's like, what do you call it? Slot machines or something. You you put your coin inside and you see if you lose or you win. There's no in between. But even if you win in just one second, you can see how you're losing, actually, because it, it only takes one small swing and you're liquidated. So you're 90 something percent more more likely to lose than to win when you're doing this. Yeah, we, we thought about adding this 100x leverage into our app as well, but we call it donation because you immediately get liquidated and the money then goes to us. 
Uh, it's fascinating that you acquired this interest for trading and for the technicalities of it. And you also taught about creating this synthetic stablecoin concept, which I haven't heard before. I heard about what you call DAI, like an algorithmic stablecoin, but I haven't heard about synthetic ones. And the question that I have for you about your stablecoin system is, how can de-pegging happen and how are you going to mitigate a situation where the 1101 asset is either more expensive or cheaper than the US dollar? What's the mechanism there? Uh, it all comes with the liquidity. And if there's not enough liquidity in the market, then you risk de-pegging in downwards in the case of a flash crash. As long as the price is, as long as there's enough liquidity and the price doesn't crash too fast, you are stable. On the opposite, if the price goes too fast upwards and your counterpart is not leveraged, then there is no risk. That is the beauty. If the counterparty though is leveraged as well, then you could also get the risk. Sorry, no, not your counterpart. If you are leveraged. Yes, if you are leveraged, if your stablecoin is leveraged and the price goes up too fast, then your stablecoin might get liquid, might um, lose its pack. But we just force users to not leverage, meaning on the upside, if the Bitcoin price goes up, you can't get liquidated. But your counterparty might get liquidated on the downside. And if there's no leverage, then the price can crash to 50%, and then your stablecoin is not worth not stable anymore to go against that what we do is we do a, a natural marching call and call your counterparty and say hey you need to add more collateral you have to increase your margin or you risk being liquidated and this is just a matter of risk management meaning we need to do this early enough and liquidate them early enough and find someone else in the market to take their position and you brought up DAI, the way how they do that is that they uh, auction the money in this contract at a better price than the market price, meaning you have a natural arbitrage opportunity for people to jump in and acquire cheap Bitcoin, basically. Okay, interesting. I'm going to play another ad because it, another 15 minutes have passed. And then I'm going to come back with more questions because this guy in the chat, I don't know if he's your friend or something, but he seems very interested and very active. Remember the paper wallet? Ah, uh, yes. The good old days when you printed your Bitcoin private key on an offline computer? It was so fun, but not really easy and totally not secure. Today, we have Sadodime, a chip card that acts just like your good old paper wallet, but with all the modern security features and top-notch functionality. It turns your Bitcoin into a bearer asset, which you can easily trade in person. Thanks to NFC, you can use the Sadodime card with your smartphone. Creating a new pair of Bitcoin keys takes just two swipes, check your balance in real time, create multiple key pairs. Whenever you want, you can reveal your Bitcoin wallet's private key with just a single click. The simple uncluttered interface lets you quickly see if a key pair has been unsealed. Finally, the cold storage you've been looking for. Available now on Satodime.io.
Yeah, so we have another question by F5E32484. The first one is just a comment about what we said before that Binance only has big accounts because people don't use 1010one to trade yet. There's no real advantage. And he also says, yes, collateralized lending is the way. It's called Lombard Loans, and I'm working on it using DLCs plus Taproot Assets. How can I work for you? This is exactly the way. Uh, best is to reach out. You can find me on all platforms from Nostra to Twitter to Telegram with Bonomat. That's my nick. Just reach out. Okay, are you sure he's not your friend? <laughs> <laughs> quite quite certain. At least I haven't seen that that handle before. Okay. Future friend. Let's call him future friend. Now, uh, at least you can say that you met through the Bitcoin Takeover podcast, which I think is very endearing when you think about it. So when Bitcoin Takeover podcast dating? When we get Supras, do you know about the Supra cycle? Ah, uh, yes, yes. Of course. Basically, you get a Supra and then you get a girlfriend and then you buy the dip. <laughs> That's the plan. Because institutions have weak hands, right? They're going to FOMO in. We bought before them, of course. We bought before BlackRock. But then we're going to dump on them to buy Toyota Supras. And then they're going to freak out and also <laughs> dump their bags. And then we buy the dip and we ride into the sunset. And we're going to restore justice. So romantic, man. <laughs> Just wait until $69,420 before you buy a Supra. Because that's... That's a fair entry price. Right now, don't don't pay free Bitcoin for a Supra. Just have some patience. But yeah, that's the bull market plan. And it's actually a much better price model as opposed to stock to flow and the mayor multiple and everything out there. Because at least it encourages you to do something with your life as opposed to just sit on your bag and wait for a price target that may never come. Yes. Like, did, did you ever sell Bitcoin to do something useful with your life? Eating? Is eating useful? It's for survival, so I guess yeah. it's useful. Then I guess yes. I'm, I'm living on a Bitcoin standard. Which is the best way to live, if you ask me. I completely agree. Yes, and I'll be in El Salvador soon to see, to see the the Bitcoin country. Let's see. Yeah. Speaking of that, we had a brief exchange before we started recording, and you mentioned that you were at BTC Prague and also at the Baltic Honey Badger. And what did you do during these conferences? Did you hold speeches? Did you join panels? Uh, in Prague, I was actually on the days before the conference. They had this Dev, I think they called Dev Hack Days, mm -hmm. and I gave a technical talk there about how DLCs work. Very, very nerdy. And on in Baltic Honey Badger, I gave a little bit more high-level talk about how to bring DLCs to Lightning. Interesting. I was at the Dev Day, which was a day before. The conference started in Prague, but there were like 300 people there, so or even more. Yeah, I had the worst time slot there. I was the very last talk on the I don't remember what stage it was, but yeah, it was the very last one. 
Yeah, I, I do remember that people got tired and were just hanging out in the lobby close to the end. Yeah. And there was also a funny situation with a few Bitcoin Core developers who realized that the PSBT feature is not really working in the latest version of Core. And they were like, how did we not see this? And they were like, oh, but nobody uses it. So I did not see that. Yeah, I think Andrew Chow discovered this and they were like, oh, shit, we have to fix this. <laughs> Best time. Yeah, fun times. It's fun to go to conferences. I see people on Twitter saying, no, you should just huddle, never go to conferences. It's much more than the presentations that you get for free on YouTube. It's about meeting people and learning from them. It's about the late night parties where you end up hanging out with a bunch of OGs and you hear some stories and you get to learn more about stuff that otherwise you wouldn't hear about. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all what conferences are about. It's not about listening to the talks, not just about listening to the talks, but networking, meeting like-minded Bitcoiners, building a network and just having fun. I really enjoy that. Yeah, and usually the smaller or the mid-sized conferences are the best ones because you get to speak with everyone. In the big, very big conferences like... BTC Prague or Miami or maybe Amsterdam. I'm not sure about their numbers this year, but they used to be big. Those are places where it's pretty shallow in terms of interactions. You say hello to everyone, but you end up talking only to a handful of people. In the smaller conferences, you basically hang out with everyone. You can join a dinner. You can talk with anyone that you want. They all have time for you. That's a much more special kind of situation. If it has fewer than 300 participants, I think it's of higher quality for your personal interactions. I completely agree. Yeah, so let's get back to 10.10.1. Do you envision people making payments with this and choosing this over BTC? Yes, to some degree, particularly those who are not um, having all their assets in Bitcoin and they can't survive a Bitcoin crash, I think that this will be a, a major use case payment. And as I said at the beginning, <clears throat> also those hardcore Bitcoiners who go to conferences, it might be a really valuable approach where you just preload your Lightning wallet with some stable coins and then use those stable coins for spending and you are risk-free in regards to the exchange rate. Um, but some really cool use cases we can think of is orange pilling people. Might sound a bit weird. How do you orange pill someone with a stable coin? But the biggest hurdle for people, in our opinion, is that they don't want to get familiar with the tech. And then in combination with accepting the exchange rate risk, being like, oh, it's so volatile. And if I buy $100 worth of Bitcoin, it's going to be less tomorrow. But with this approach, you can say, um, hey, let's buy $100 worth of the stable coin. You are in Bitcoin, you are on Lightning, you can transact on Lightning. And when the time is right, just exchange part of the stable coin into Bitcoin and boom, we have another Bitcoiner. I mean, yeah, I can see that working. And it's far more interesting to me than the use case you presented in the beginning of the interview when you said it's for traders. 
and for institutions that might be interested in reducing their risk. I think onboarding people with something like this is interesting, even though I think when you give them some Bitcoin and they hold it for a few years, they're going to be much more impressed and they're going to be like, oh, I got this five years ago. And now it, at the time it was a waffle, but right now I can buy, I don't know. You're super. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. But if, that, if then, that year was 2011 or something. You, you've just created another holder which you said is not the right use case for Bitcoin. You gave them the opportunity to buy Bitcoin and tell them, hey, hodl, so that in the future it might be worth something. But what you actually want to do is tell them, hey, this is censorship-resistant money. You can transact anywhere in this world without having to ask for permission. And that's the use case you need to get people into. The price movement is just a side effect. Uh, that's also the cypherpunk way of presenting it because cypherpunks were not really interested in this free market money, right? They just wanted to make payments to, for example, someone was running a remailer for privacy and they wanted to pay that guy, but that guy did not want to reveal his full name and his bank account and his address and whatever. So how are you going to pay him? And that's why they thought about eCash and all of these systems eCash in its first iteration was just a layer on top of the banking system. And it was a way to make your payments private. It was all, all about banks and US dollars and whatever. And I think right now there is Kale who's doing something similar on top of Lightning with Cashew. And that's an eCash system for the Lightning Network. But it's also interesting that we see the development of stable coins on top of Lightning. And honestly, I'm rooting for you as opposed to Lightning Labs to create something that's actually successful and has market demand. Because honestly, I'm disappointed in Lightning Labs. They promised they would develop Lightning Network and they would add cool stuff. They're not even supporting Vault 12. And they stall development on some stuff to work on taproot assets. It might be a misalignment of incentives because they took BC money and they have to produce something that makes them money. So they switch to prioritizing this stablecoin stuff. But I hope you make it before they do. <laughs> you you mentioned uh, Kale and <clears throat> Cashew or eCash. I. That one goes very well with our static, synthetic stablecoin solution because the, the mint, the eCash mint, could actually issue a stablecoin on top of uh, a stable eCash token. And what they have to do then is basically use Tenton 1 under the hood as a protocol. And Kelly and me, we have been talking about that recently. That would be really, really cool. Yeah, uh, Kali is going to be in one of the upcoming episodes of the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. We already recorded it. It's just that I didn't have time to edit it yet, but I'm going to get to it. So yeah, the, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in Bitcoin and in Lightning. Yes, too much. I wouldn't say too much. It's good that there's competition. It's good that there are alternatives. And it's good that we're having debates about what the best system is and how stuff should be done. Because this is important, right? We didn't settle for the trusted system and say, okay, Tether is good enough. 
At the same time, it's worrying, worrying to see that there's so much activity on Tron with Tether. You're not even sure which one is going to break first, right? Maybe that Tether is going to be liquid and they're going to always redeem. But is Tron decentralized? We all know it's not. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Tether, I mean, Tether has been around for 10 years now. They're going to be around for a while. Tron, I don't know. That thing might just blow up. Solana, no one noticed if it's down for a few days. So we need stable, trustless, decentralized tech. Yeah, I was going to ask you why you decided to do this on Bitcoin, because it's more risky from a market perspective. It's less risky from a technical perspective, because the, the infrastructure is more decentralized and more robust. But you don't know if it's going to get any traction. I would say it's actually more risky from the technical perspective because building it with DLCs is really hard while building something with a JavaScript Solidity contract is super easy. That's why we've seen all of those con all those projects on Ethereum because it's just super stupid programming language. But building on Bitcoin is really hard and it takes a long time. The traction problem, everyone has the traction problem. That's just, whenever you build something, you have the problem of getting people to use it. So better build something what people want. Yeah, you said something about living on the Bitcoin standard. I'm going to play the last ad from this show, and it's about shopping bit. I guess you know about it. Yes. It's like the Amazon of Bitcoin. You can buy anything. Well, let me play this and then I'm going to go back to another question that I have for you. Shop and Bit is the online store where you can buy anything with your Bitcoin. Choose between more than 800,000 products, book flights and hotels, and order everything else through the concierge service. With Shop and Bit, you can buy your weekly groceries, get the latest iPhone, upgrade your computer, buy something sexy for your new girlfriend, book a trip to El Salvador through the travel hacking service, and also grab a copy of the latest Bitcoin takeover magazine to read in the airplane. Everything is integrated with a familiar shopping experience that doesn't track you and deletes your data after the order gets completed. You also get a 3% discount if you pay in Bitcoin. Try Shopping Bit today and use promo code BTCTKVR for a five euro discount on your first order. Yeah, I was going to ask you if 1001 is something that you built for yourself first and foremost, because usually developers think about something that they need and they backtrack from there? Um, to some degree, but I would say it's more for the traders. So 1001 is actually our second project. The first one was Ichisats. And as what do you call it? Ichisats. Ichisats. The website is still out there, but the project is dormant. Um, we, we pivoted to 1001. But the, the reason, as mentioned at the beginning of the show, was I don't want anyone ever to have to feel this pain of losing money on an exchange. If you want to trade, then you should not have to take into account counterparty risk. It, you have already all hands to do with exchange rate risk. And the problem with those exchange hacks or um, SBFs of this world is that it doesn't, the, the big institution doesn't get hurt. It's the 
the small pleb like you and me who just want to trade a few dollars here and there and then suddenly the money is gone and that's the movement i want to support the decentralized peer-to-peer movement for small people okay I've saved this for last because I wanted to have this conversation. Like I wanted you to present what 1001 is and talk about whether or not it's going to succeed. And then we're going to talk about the competition, like in a comparative perspective, but you did this and I'm going to share it with everyone watching. And for people listening on Spotify and Apple podcasts, we're going to read it out loud. On the 1001 Twitter page, or X, or whatever you call it, these brag about being the first, and that's in capital letters, Lightning Native Synthetic USD. Our goal is to make it divisible, transferable, and permissionless, just like its underlying asset, Bitcoin. And you have this comparison between the US dollar stable coins like Tether and USDC, stable sats like Blink and Galoi, and USDP. Is this what you're going to call it? Yeah, from P like packs, and uh, packs meaning it's packed. Pegs, okay. So in the US dollar, the trust is in the bank. In stable coins, the trust is in the issuer. In Galois and Blink, the trust is in exchanges or in exchange. In exchange. Yeah, I'm not sure if they have multiple, they have at least one. And then USDP, which is by 1001, you have a quorum of oracles. And we discussed this already, that you have oracles. Yeah. Is there a bank account? In the US dollar, it's needed for the user. In the stable coins like USDT, it's needed for the issuer. In Galois and Blink, it's not needed. And also in 1001's USDP, it's not needed. Custody. The US dollar is 100% custodial. Stable coins like USDT and USDC are token that can be self-custodial. Blink and Galois as stable stats are 100% custodial. And USDP by 1001 is 100% self-custodial. The fees in the US dollar are high. I'm not sure if I understand this, but we can talk about it. And stable coins can be low. I think they're higher in stable coins than in US dollar, but that's a conversation we can have in galoyan stable sat products it, they're extremely low and also in tenten ones usdp extremely low because it's on lightning kyc it's mandatory with the us dollar but i disagree about cash exchanges and issuer require kyc and stable coins like usdt and usdc Soon mandatory in the EU, so KYC is going to be mandatory for Blink and Galois in the European Union. And you say that it's not needed for USDP by 1001. But let's talk about the US dollar as cash, or is that completely disregarded in this comparison? It's only banks. Yeah, this comparison takes the bank bank version of US dollars into account. You're completely right that US dollars and cash have different features. Like it's, there's no fee involved if you send it or hand it around. You don't need KYC. Uh, I mean, there is some regulatory requirements to have cash payments above a certain amount to be KYC, but I'm not sure how it looks in the reality. 
Yeah, it's interesting to put it in this perspective and see where your product stands and how it compares to stuff that already exists and has market demand. What do you know about Galois and Blink? Because I haven't heard much from them. I heard about them, but I'm not sure if they get any traction or if they're being used somewhere in the world. I I think they're targeting the same users as we do, uh, particular El Salvador, Bitcoin Beach. I mean, Blink was called Bitcoin Beach Wallet first, right? Um, the I don't know about the traction that's not public, but I really, really like their first movement and they started with the synth synthetic stablecoin. They just happened to use the custodial way where they use the customer funds and hedge it on a centralized exchange. And now you have the advantage of being stable and you can transact on Bitcoin and Lightning, but you have counterparty risk. And ours is a little bit better there because, or a little bit, is <laughs> better there because we remove the counterparty risk. Yeah, it's definitely useful to aspire to be more trustless. You can be 100% trustless, your trust minimized, as you mentioned but you're eliminating the reliance on an exchange and you're also providing utility to Bitcoin. And to me, that's something that's super interesting and useful. And I'm happy that you're working on this and I'm happy that I discovered this project. I hope you make it much farther. Thank you. So is there anything about the project that you haven't mentioned and I didn't ask you about? I don't think so. How can people hard. contribute or support the development of this? Yeah, you showed the GitHub repository already. So everything what we do is open source. Feel free to have a look there. We have actually labeled a few tickets there um, as first issues. Also, there's the Hectoberfest running right now. Um, so there are a few la tickets labeled with Hectoberfest. Um, what we are really looking for are people with UI, UX design experience, because we are more the nerdy side who live in a terminal and our front end might not be that usable yet. And we are aware of that. If we ever want to compete with a custodial exchange, we have to be at least on par with our UX. And if you have experience in that, please reach out. Yeah. I'm really happy once again that we had this conversation and I learned something new today about stuff I have been ignorant to, I guess. So thank you very much, Philip. How can people follow you personally on Twitter to see what's new or Noster or whatever? Yeah, you can find Tenton1 under get10101 on Twitter or X, uh, also on Noster. I think we're not that active on Noster, but we try to at least. And personally, you find me on the Bonomart everywhere. Also, nerdy fact that was mentioned before we started recording, and I, I don't think we said when we did this, 1010 is binary for 21? Yeah, 10101 is the binary representation of 21. The more you know. So the, the fact that you waited until the end of the episode and you didn't stop listening. Now you know something that you didn't previously. <laughs> Binary code is super nerdy and it's fun. It is. Thanks for having me, Vlad. 
thank you, Philip. And I look forward to doing this once again when you have maybe a chunk of the market cap of Tether and you're showering <laughs> in money. And I'm going to ask you, hey, do you sponsor podcasts or whatever? <laughs> you can. I, I give you a ride in my Supra then. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I see that you're married, but maybe you're not interested in the girlfriend part, but your wife might be. She can get she... a girlfriend. <laughs> she also needs to drive around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe she needs someone to go to the nail salon and to <laughs> to listen to her problems you know, to go shopping so you can stay at home and code and maybe play video games and drive your Supra. Now, you know, you know how I orange pilled my wife by taking her on long road trips and listening to podcasts. <clears throat> so you need a Supra, put the girlfriend into the car and then listen to the Bitcoin takeover podcast for hours. I'm going to make a short clip of this and share it. This was so good. Thank you, Philip. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and the guy from the chat who has been very active, F5E324F4, he says he is not your friend or whatever. So this wasn't rigged. He's just a Brazilian developer. And he added, I love this project. It only needs adoption. I will help with that. I'm very good friends with big Brazilian YouTubers. This is the way. Man, I, I feel like out, I'm doing please. my job here, you know, this is what <laughs> podcasts are supposed to do. And I, I usually tell people that this is not a newbie friendly podcast. This is mostly for people who are already interested in Bitcoin, know how the, the basic stuff works. And they look for projects in which they can invest, you know, they're, they're looking for something that's interesting and can get them engaged, maybe financially, maybe to add code to that. And I'm happy when this happens, you know, I connect people. This is the best part of my job, honestly. I can see it. So thank you very much, Philip. And best of luck with this. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.